Out of every 100 men, 10 shouldn't even be there. 80 are just targets. Nine are the real fighters, and we are lucky to have them, for they make the battle. Ah, but the one. One is a warrior, and he will bring the others back. Yes, Heracles. (laughs) So, almost messed that name up. What's going on, guys? MDLP, Battle Axe Podcast, episode 15, with my special co-host, Baron of the North, Johnny Banks. What is up, everyone? Giving a nice little shout out. We're going to do, after last episode's emotional roller coaster, um, we're going to settle back down. <laughs> I don't want to cry anymore. Uh, probably will cry anyway. Yeah. We're going to ask them doing a Q&A question, excuse me, a Q&A episode where we kind of have gathered a bunch of questions that we had for each other that we didn't do sometimes just because, and also from Instagram posts and things like that where Generally, people that listen to our show, which is awesome, and people that work out and stuff ask questions. And my favorite part is that most of them have nothing to do with programming, which is fucking awesome. <laughs> but uh, before we get started, I just want to give a couple of shout outs um, to everybody. Of course, BV305, shout out to them, the Battle Axe Clan. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you guys. It's been a big influence to all of us. Uh, for Gabby, number 16, 16 strong, fight on, little brother. Um, and everybody else going through some shit, this episode's for you. So, before we get started, let me take a sip of Bang Bang Energy Drink, our sponsor. Just kidding. Should sponsor us. We do a lot of for real. Work. Have you seen me in the, every episode, man? Have you seen me in those tights, bro? What a display! I'm a jewel tone. I was gonna say I'm a gem tone. So we're gonna start with a couple questions. We're gonna shoot it, and um, we'll probably go live like we always do. I think that we were just discussing this before the show, and it was kind of cool. For those of you who don't know, we don't have anybody that edits our show. And that's my favorite thing about this is what you're hearing is exactly what we started 15 episodes ago. Mm-hmm. So we talk for two hours. No one gives us an intro song. No one edits the mistakes out. No one takes anything from it. It's completely raw and uncut, just like the Lord should made us. Some uh, would say just, we like it raw. Yeah, some would say that. Um, thank you, Odin. <laughs> but um, And I just wanted to, to say that in the sense that some people think that we sit here and like pregame with questions. If you come and sit by our side, we really just go through a couple of questions and then we just fly. In fact, I tell John not to really give me too many of these questions because I want to give you the most genuine answer possible. So for those of you tuning in for the first time and for those of you tuning in for the 15th time, just wanted to give you a little background on that because I think that's pretty kick-ass if you ask me. What yeah, I mean, if you ask us about our show. I, we're <laughs> the best. It's the best. <laughs> Stupid. an idiot. Mm. So, I'd like to tack on to that by saying thank you as well. Also, if you're a listener, a frequent listener, and you want to help us grow, subscribing is amazing. That helps a lot, and thank you for that. But more importantly, the ratings on the show. If you scroll down to the bottom, you will see an opportunity to give us five stars. It only works in five stars. I don't know why Yeah, I don't think you can do less than five stars. Yeah, five stars is like the start of where our podcast is rated, so... so do that so you give us five stars and what you are doing for us is you are giving other people who do not subscribe an opportunity to see us in the list of podcasts so we would be very grateful if you did that um we do have a list of everyone who subscribes we will come to your house we won't come to your house we probably will yeah well, i will <laughs> and then i know who did it neither by the way so mm. Mm. so anyways jumping off now I was a little jelly of this. 
because I don't get these questions, but whatever. <laughs> Such a baby. <laughs> I know. God. Somebody asked me one. I'm going to ask, watch. I'm going to ask some cool shit one day. Uh, I'm going to be so corny. I'm like, what? Uh, what? Uh, uh, my favorite color is blue. Now we have to edit the show. <laughs> shit. Recently, one of your peers had called you one of the best people in strength sports, a purist. What exactly did that mean to you? Ugh. I... T- mm. I'll tell you what. First of all, sh- shout out to Serrano. You know who you are. I don't um, think that guy owns a shirt. No, because he doesn't need to. Jack piece of shit. Oh God, um, shout it. out to you in California, brother. Um, first of all, reading that was like a like an anvil of emotion, something that hits heavy. I think it's a humbling weight, if that makes sense. And reading that by somebody who I consider very educated because he's very educated in string sports, has been in the game for a long time, is a grown-ass man, um, and has no reason to say that other than he just means it. I thought that was just super humbling. What that means to me personally, uh, it feels like I've been on the right track for a while. Um, it, it, You know what? There's, it's like Gary Vaynerchuk once says, I said it before, anything's better than zero, right? That one comment alone could carry me for a long time. Um, just that one person that can cons- consider me in such a light is so flattering. Sometimes I like I can't even look at those things. I'm like, Ugh, like I don't know how to react. <laughs> and everyone would think like, oh man, you love it. I'm like, well, man, I don't. I still have hard time. Um, and when somebody says a sports purist, you know, something a purist of something, a strength purist per se, I think it really is somebody who knows who they are and what they want. You could say, I remember in martial arts, it was the same concept. Oh, this purist, purist of this, purist of that. What it ended up being is that a lot of these coaches and um, I don't say athletes as well and senseis and stuff, when you know what you want and you dissect the art for what it is, it's it's pure form, meaning what are you getting from the deadlift? Yeah, you're getting stronger, but what else? Okay, well, you know, I'm analyzing biomechanics. Okay, but what else? And then you start seeing further and further trends that it's a sign of perseverance. Typically, I would say that anything that you're a purist from is because you're seeing the intangibles, the things that most people can't see. Oh, you know, I deadlift big back. I'm like, is it really that? Or is it showing you that if you stick to the way and you train hard, that you can overcome something and that this particular type of training, sticking to discipline, having perseverance might be personified by the deadlift or this particular training protocol that's really grueling and demands you to eat right and train right and sleep when you start to see and read through that you can really say shit that is the purest form of what strength training is and when you talk to high level coaches most of them don't even talk about numbers anymore i mean they really don't listen to all the youtube videos and Instagram. how many are really talking percentage training i'll tell you what i'll challenge you and say how many of them are still answering fucking questions about how to bench? You know why? Because it's old. Yeah. And these guys are purists because they have transcended that and, and look beyond that. And that is what I got from that. That besides, well, besides being <laughs> just still, even reading that makes me want to blow. But I would hope that they would consider me a purist because I have passed just numbers and I'm digging deeper and using the sport at its purest form, at its raw element. Like, what is what is the point of this training? Like, what are we doing with this whole entire thing? You know, the, almost the philosophies on it. And at first, when you first get into a sport, you're like, oh, that's bullshit. 
And then 10, 15, 20 years later, you're like, damn, dude, that old dude that was talking about that is right. Yeah. You know, it's almost like when you listen to your parents, you're like, no, I got this. 20 years later, you're like, fuck. Oh, God, I hate it. Yep. And I, I, I consider that even in martial arts. When you talk to purists, a lot of purists will be the literal sense, right? They'll be like, oh, literally, this is what that is. But I don't feel like that's what that means to me anymore. I feel like it's somebody who's looking for beyond that. And uh, just being considered that in the strength world by Serrano, who I really respect, is just it's fucking awesome, man. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Do you think, well, obviously you've grown a lot over time. In those beginning years, how would you have defined a purist? Exactly how I said it isn't. <laughs> Seven years ago, eight years ago, ten years ago when I started, mm. I would say, well, the deadlift has to be this way and that's it. And strength well, training has it, to be like that. Let's take it away from strength training. Let's I take, let's say, give me MDLP, the fighter, mm. his definition of a purist, and then you can take it to strength training. Mm. I would say even, maybe I'll, I'll even push it back further as a person. I always considered a purist somebody who was by the book. No bend, no give. Stoic. Um, unbending. No, no give, right? You're, 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 it's purest form. There's no, if they say, you know, it's jab, cross, hook, then it's jab, cross, hook. And that's just the way it is. If it's yeah. jab, cross, right, round kick, then that is what you're going to, that is it, you know? Um, and as I got older, I realized that I don't feel like the people who originally wrote the script on martial arts or strength sports wanted you to read it that way. I feel like people started interpreting it that way because they weren't wise enough to look beyond it. And I felt that the purist became a watered-down form of discipline because you have to be disciplined to reach beyond and take the risk of looking beyond what it really means. You know, is it jab, cross, hook? Yeah. Mm. And we'll use that just as an example if you want. But it could also be jab, cross, you know, like short hook or rear hook. It could be a, a pivoting. It doesn't always have to be jab cross hook. Maybe it's a body shot. And it it still starts to transcend into that aspect. And let's let's put it further into, further into philosophy concept. It's like if the person wrote that it's supposed to be this way, maybe they wrote that for the most part so you can start interpreting it differently. Maybe that's the purest form of it, to make you think, to make you fucking open your eyes. I feel that that is the purest form of a sport or a philosophy, or an art form, is that it's supposed to open your eyes into something else. And only the purist, in my opinion, now, because this is just an opinion, obviously, even though I think I'm right, uh, <laughs> is, is pushing past those lines. You know, you, 10, 10, 15 years ago, we were like, no, purist means this. And now it's like, no, I don't know. I, don't, I think that opening those doors is still its pure form of searching. And I see that very rarely in... Uh, in strength sports. Maybe now it's getting different. But you see people taking things into their own hands, looking deeper, yeah. understanding, asking questions. I'm like, man, those seem like the purists. They're going to they're digging deep to find the root cause of everything that is typically bigger than the topic. For sure. And even that's open to conversation, obviously, but yeah, the guy <laughs> well, I was a long time ago would have told you that's <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> Which is fucking hilarious. Now I would have called my I would have called me now. I'm like, Yeah, you're fucking old and you're being a pussy. Yeah. Like, yeah, fuck off, like, Zen yeah, MDLP. Yeah, exactly, dude. <laughs> Pussy. <laughs> We're like, bro, I'll fight you right now. Yeah, right? Um, so that's interesting because um, I think that you have to mold yourself into somewhat of a purist in dealing with injury. Yep. And recently, yeah. you have uh, had a lot to overcome. 
So you had some challenges in contest prep. You had some personal stuff going on. You mentioned in the past that that would have sent you in a, in a, in a downward spiral. You would have maybe gotten into your head, gotten emotional, upset. Maybe you would have done some things that would take you out of where you are now. What has changed for you that you can now see that that is coming and pivot and change the path? I don't think anything's changed. I still feel the same way. Mm-hmm. I'm still a hurt, scared young man fighting all the time. Nothing's changed. How I perceive it and how I execute is different. I still feel those feelings, fear and doubt and uh this kind of perpetual finish line of when is it over or is it over now? Am I the tortoise or the hare? When I used to respect the hare more than the tortoise and I still do in my heart. Sprint to the end, motherfucker. Yeah. Um, I still feel those things and that those thoughts come to my mind every day. Um, personal issues still affect me. Fear still affects me. Injuries still affect me. Things with my lifters, I'm much more spread thin now. Uh, I do go home and I doubt myself. Nothing's ever changed. I would say that it's even worse now than when I was 24. I had less to worry about. I had less to care about, less to fear. I was indestructible. Mm. It couldn't fuck with me. And then 10 years later when I had lost so many things and ups and downs, uh, I fear more. You know, I, 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 I can say that I do fear certain things. and That's okay. So none of that has changed. Now what has changed is the ability to perceive them as fuel and perceive them as a source of pride and a source of something great that being more human and animal sometimes is exceptional and it's something deeper. And it's for me to be really upset about not competing is a gift because the alternative is to not care. And that emptiness is typically the worst feeling, and we lose people to that emptiness. And I refuse to let go of these these things that make me me. And if I were to tell you, had this happened 10 years ago, yeah, I would have felt the same thing, but my execution and my perception on it would have crushed me because I was half the man I was or the boy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that keeps me going is that I want more. I want more obstacles now. I need them. I need something. As my body uh, challenges me consistently, what would I be without that? Like, what conversation would I have with you if I didn't tell you I've been through some shit, you know? Yeah. Um, And I accept it. So, like, when I pulled out of this competition, um, and other things too, man, you know, getting ready for nationals, like, their events, well, one of the events is a stone of steel, and that's what, tore my bicep in half and it's a mental fuck and the first thing i said was fuck this and for a whole day i was tail between my legs wind out of my sails i don't think i'm gonna do it and it was fear straight fucking fear because of you those of you who have never had surgery to an injury in sport well hope it never happens but it's there a fear is there sure and i was like fuck that you know and then this course four inch deficit for my spine i'm like you ever suffer a spine injury it's even worse i'm like fuck the whole day, I was like, oh, I feel it. Man, I feel it. And yeah. I feel it worse because now I know what it feels like to fucking lose, you know? Yeah. 
And the next day I said, well, man, what, what, what are we doing here? You know, what am I preaching here about going forward? Like, what, what am I doing with my life? I typically take a night of introspection. And I feel more. And I use it differently. I woke up the next day with a sense of, of pride that I've been through something. Battle scars are worth trying for. That even in failure, at least my armor is rusty for a reason. Yeah. Instead of going in there and just being a piece of shit, you know? <laughs> you think uh, being more emotionally connected to these things has made you a better athlete? No. It's probably just made me a better coach. Mm. I think that once you start to... I'll be real with you. That's my answer. I don't... I'd like to make something up to make me sound a lot cooler. <laughs> but that's bullshit. It, I, hesitation, fear for me, makes me a good athlete. I don't think that that's necessarily a for sure good for everybody. Yeah. I wish I didn't have that. I wish I can tell you I don't give a fuck if I tear the other one. But, you know, when you're <laughs> paying a fucking medical bill and you're out for six months, it's different. Yeah. Um, I don't think it necessarily makes... It might make me a wiser athlete. It certainly doesn't make you a faster athlete. <laughs> um, but overall, it's made me a better coach, which has made me a happier person. It's made me a more fulfilled person and in essence probably made me a better athlete that way. But be realistic. Once you start breaking down and things starting slower and you're almost kind of hesitating, yeah. you're not a better athlete. You just need to fight through it. Sure. I, I guess I can speak a little bit for myself from, from injury. A lot of times when I have my hesitations, it's not the injury itself. It's not getting re-injured. It's the journey of the comeback that just seems like such a long road. <laughs> yeah. And then you look down and you're like, man... That yeah. could be another six months or another year of my life. It's and yeah, and you're like shit. One time's ticking. Yeah, is that what you find yourself thinking of more? Is the time to recover from an injury now? Yeah, yeah, and, and you know what? It's funny because I listen to motivational speeches like every morning now, especially yeah. when I get the same speeches I've been listening to about for about six years. The mm. same ones. Yeah, uh, I must have li easily well over a thousand times. I almost know them by heart. I don't even know when they change the fucking music. Anyways, <laughs> and it's like loving the process, you know, and all this stuff. And, and, um, and it's like you, you have to love the hunt and the process of it and the grind of it. And it's just two voices in my head saying, look, you know, injury always improves you. You come back stronger mentally. And then the real side is like, but you don't. <laughs> you come back broken yeah. with some super glue. And your will, like my will and my 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 warrior spirit has never been stronger in my life mm. but my body doesn't like it's not the same like be real you know yeah um and so it's this mixed bag of emotions that's very realistic and it can be a 50 50 sometimes it's a 70 30 whether i think this is okay and i'm like fuck it let it tear i don't give a fuck and you can and i try to you can see it in certain training sessions where there's just this wild animal is just loose and i'm like and I breathe it in because that's not every day anymore. Yeah. And I, I tell the guys a lot in the morning, I'm like, take every session for what it is. And when you have those sessions, go home and be happy that you had that, that you were let off your chains. And the days that you're hurting and you're doubtful and you're like, fuck, and you had to take that for what it is too, mm -hmm. because you're going to have those. Guess what? You're going to have more of those as you get older yeah. or, as you get, or even not even older as you get stronger. Yeah. That's it. That's what's happening. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just bag of emotions. The, the, the road back from injury, honestly, after a spine injury, whatever, you know, I've had so many injuries, not major injuries. Thank goodness. Just the spine one was the worst and tearing the bicep and stuff. And I'll have more for sure. 
But it's kind of like, fuck, man, time's ticking against me. And maybe I'm just, that's one of the things that we're going to talk about later. But you, you have this this uh, little hourglass in your head, and it's just fucking going. Yeah. And it puts pressure on you. Sure. So. Absolutely. Recently, you have gotten to attend a graduation. <laughs> And uh, you had a very nice uh, schoolboy smile. It was great. But whatever. You look really nice delete that. in a button-down shirt. There's a plaid one. You like that? Yeah, I did. I look cute. Yeah, so fashionable. Might not delete. <laughs> Shouldn't. <laughs> the world needs to see it. <coughs> so, recently, it, it, I don't know that you've added a lot more operator-type uh, members, um, but it seems like that. Or at least you're showing them a bit more. Do you, how do I put this? Why is it important for all of those, and you know, firefighter, police, you've mentioned this a lot of times, obviously military, and I think military is like one of those ones that's very obvious. You right. Know, you see military, you're like, they should strength train. Right? For sure. But why do you feel like all of those positions should be strength training? That's a good question. Um, I think I'm in the point of my career now where I've kind of been, I've actually been training um special forces and operators for quite some time. It's just got in the open recently because the people that I've trained are now growing up, uh, you know, yeah. and they're making life choices to go into firefighting and, and police officers and some in military. Um, and so they're uh, being exposed in that direction. Like what I've kept relatively quiet because I'm not a person that goes around showing off what I'm doing per se and as far as training, maybe some opinions here and there. They're now examples and people are asking them, well, what do you do? And they're like, well, you know, this is what Mike does and so forth. Yeah. And then I've had a, now I have a relatively larger platform through the expression of my lifters and obviously my Instagram and podcasts and social media. So my opinion has been the same for many, many years because even when I was a younger man, I didn't have the guidance, but I did want to get into the police academy and the military and firefighting. I just got into everything in my mid-20s as everyone does. I think that you have the luxury, and I mean this, the luxury of serving society to make a difference, like a real tangible difference. Mm -hmm. Like you are the front lines of either saving a life or preserving a life or protecting a life. You have been gifted. I know you earned the spot. I know you did. But there is such a long line of responsibilities left in your life that are going to be physically demanding. I'm not even going to get into the psychological aspect of what you're getting into, because that's a whole other aspect, which I'm big on too, obviously. But the physical aspect of it is monumental. For you to be unprepared to deal with these responsibilities makes you, for lack of a better term, a fucking pussy. It's not fair that you are risking the life of your fellow teammate, of the person you're trying to save because you can't carry your own weight. It's disrespectful for the badge that you wear. It's disrespectful to the fucking money and retirement you're getting. And more importantly, it's disrespectful to your entire family, that group of people who are willing to get out of a truck or a vehicle with lights blaring against gunfire, against fire literally, and against fucking dying bodies that you're going to go to sleep remembering. And because you can't pick up your own fucking weight because you refuse to respect your body, I think it's, I think it's bullshit. And I, I just spoke to a recruit class 
two days ago, and I said the same thing verbatim in front of a chief and 21 recruits that if you don't fucking train, you're a fucking pussy. Because it's like I've said to a lot of the guys, you know, everyone wants tip of the spear, Spartan this. And I'm like, the most important thing to a Spartan is the man next to them. If you study the phalanx, they, you know that that shield that's on your shoulder is not is from the man behind you. You're not protecting yourself. Your shield is protecting the man next to you. So every time I see this Spartan bullshit and I see some fat fuck walk into it, I'm like, you would be the one that doesn't hold your shield up against a spear. You are the coward because you haven't spent any fucking time giving yourself enough respect and more importantly, respect to the man next to you to be ready to deal with some shit. Let's walk into a burning building, dog. And you can't get that fucking lady out of the building because you can't deadlift 300 pounds because you chose not to? It's on you, dude. And then you fall. Mm. And then your partner has to get you. Now there's two bodies to deal with. Mm. Yeah, man, you want to wear the badge. And listen, if I walk into a room next to a police officer and a firefighter, you think anybody's going to look my way, dude? Guess what? I deserve it. I didn't choose that path. I chose my path. Head tattoos scumbag criminal doing whatever the fuck i want whiskey till two in the morning i chose my path i'm okay that society is going to respect these two more than me i'm fine those that need to respect me respect me right and you have that that luxury of being such a high level in society and you're wasting it away because you don't want to train it drives me crazy and worst of all most of them unfortunately not most of them some of them who still train don't train optimally i'm not mad at those people at least they're still taking care of themselves mm-hmm but that's been an issue with me. So when I train these guys for the CPAT officer training, uh, you know, what we call operator stuff, I'm training you to be as optimal and as quote unquote as useful slash dangerous as possible. Because your job description and the career you decided to to wear that badge for and get watery eyed when you're listening to that fucking speech that you say, when when people look at the national anthem and they look at you as a fucking hero and you're not putting time into that. God, I fucking wish, John, sometimes I would have fucking been one of those people, but, you know, I'm fucking me. Um, <laughs> would have been fucking probably fired, but eventually. But I tell you, that I'm, very, I'm super passionate about that because I have a lot of good friends, a lot, John, in the military, and I have a lot of good friends in, in law enforcement and firefighting, good friends. Mm-hmm. And I know that their life is at risk when they step into a building with the person next to them that's not willing to put in the time after work to be optimal. Yeah. And the way we train and the way my philosophy is, it pisses me off. And you know what? There's a lot of good firefighters that have lost buddies because of situations like that. Speak to them, man. Talk yeah. to them for a little bit, especially military. I would agree with that. Um, I'd also like to piggyback on that a little bit, too, because I think that old generations of parents have, have put more significance on the dollar amount that you can make. Yep. The potential for retirement. And so now you see a lot of people who are like in decent shape and they go to the gym or they're a bro bodybuilder and like, I'm just going to be a firefighter. Yeah. And I always love that challenge because I'm like, oh, really? You're going to be the guy to pull up to an accident scene and pull a dead baby out of a car. I'll tell you right now, I can't. Yep. For the rest of your life. You can do that? And they're like, well, I don't know. I mean, I could do it. Yeah. I'm fine. And you're like, no, dude, like you're not fine, which is interesting because obviously- You have to, as a coach, not only coach uh, to physical standards, but you also have to take the impact of those things that happen psychologically. And where do you find the challenge of coaching them and also understanding that if you're doing remote coaching for a guy who might be in Iraq, 
you know, how do I make this? Can you coach in a way that alleviates some of that mental tension of what he's doing? That's you know? a fucking good question, by the way. Um, can I speak through programming is would be what I would say. Yes. And physically on site at the Battle Axe Gym, I'm really fucking good at that. Programming online and further, obviously, discussing with them. I think there is a certain amount of self-respect, self-sacrifice, and the will to train hard that is going to prepare you for the hardships of life. Now, I can write that through certain training like max distance, carrying a sandbag for max distance, you know, heavy yoke, heavy farmers, something that is going to push you to the brink consistently, which I... I always feel a strong man and knowing that you have one step more to go and you take it you know like a max sandbag carry when you go around the cone when you're supposed to quit you know exactly what that feels like Mm -hmm. that will over years and weeks becomes ingrained in your dna i feel that that becomes a part of you when you want to stop working when you're seeing bad things you have one more day Mm -hmm. you go home you lay your head to rest you're like i have one more day and you see some shit and you go home and you talk to your, you know, your significant other and you lay your head. You're like, I have one more foot to go. I can do one more foot. I can do one more hour. Mm. Mm? I can save one more body. You know, I can protect one more person because it's ingrained in your personality. I, you know, I would like to think I can do anything in my life, anything I want to, because I learned it in training. I learned that if I push my body to a limit, when my body fails, my, my mind will carry me. I've, I've seen it, I have felt it, and I have done it for 20 years. And I know for sure, John, that despite bad things coming my way, that I have one more day. And I didn't, nobody told me that. I felt it. You know, I felt it. I've seen it, I've shown it, and I've said it. And it's, it's a consistent effort of perseverance. And when you train... When you have physical sacrifice and a physical endeavor to overcome on a weekly and daily basis, you are building blocks of courage, I swear. And most of them come through overcoming failure over and over and over and over again. And nothing is more apparent than physical training. Because you wake up to do that on your own time, by your own choice, for free. No, I mean, for the most part, most of us are not doing this for a lot of money or any money. Right. And that will to do it is the one more day. That that to me is the tip of the spear. You are the honed weapon because you chose to do it. And when I, I specifically talked to my, I got a guy, SEAL Team 1, dog. This guy is a fucking G. Yeah. And when we don't talk for a few days, he's out doing some shit. How do I express training? I know how to write training for me because I know what it takes, at least physically and mentally, what it is to push. And there's been no better representative in my mind outside of fighting, obviously, than pushing things with strongmen. Mm-hmm. But I speak to them. I talk to them. I type to them if I have to. This is going to push you. You need to die out there. You need to know that you're going 250 feet, go 251 every fucking time. If you sprint for 30, you sprint for 31. It's like running through the finish line, right? Yeah. And that look at the guys that run on sprints and stop a few feet first. Yep. You know why? Because they trained it that way. 
And I guarantee you they have a personality like that. Quit early. Give up early. Wake up late. Because you're not running to the finish line. And I promise you, I fucking promise you, that's because they train that way. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, don't fucking quit. There is a difference between stopping and blocking out and quitting. Mm-hmm. And it's all inherent in training. I, I've said it all the time. We are fortunate enough, you and me, John, that necessarily, for the most part, our lives are not on the line for quitting. When you're in the service, it sure is. Yeah. And worst of all, it's somebody else's life. And that hurts way more. Yeah. I would rather die than have somebody die on my watch. In the sense of, it's my fault. You know, yeah. obviously, if they're wounded and they're dying, you can't do it. Whatever, right? Yeah. That happens. But if you're just not, you're not properly trained enough or prepared enough because you chose not to, because you think binging on Netflix for the next three months is cool, man, I'll, I'll, I've said it. I've said it to them. I'm like, you're a fucking punk. Yeah. I've said it all the time. I don't care what you wear on your shoulder, dude. I'm not respecting you. That's why I have a head tattoo, motherfucker. <laughs> because I just, I can't play by the rules all the time. Yeah, sure. So I've been fortunate enough to, I feel, to have been making a small difference in this community of operators and I call them all operators, even though I don't know if that's proper terminology, but definitely I like to call them civil servants in the sense that you're serving society. I would yeah, consider sure. myself a silver servant in a sense, but um, yeah, man, I, I can't. I'm very, pa- I'm super, I get my hands get cold when I talk about this shit. Like <laughs> I, I, I can't, like I'm really passionate about that. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Because I know if I would have went down the path, the same path I would be now, like I'd be the baddest motherfucker. I'm like, how, how could you, how could you have such a sweet retirement, a sweet job, uh, a sweet job in the sense that you're lucky to have that job here in this country and you're going to take it for granted because you don't want to fucking prepare. Yeah, sure. Fuck out of here. And you know what? Most of the guys that I talk to in the force and firefighting look at me and they're like, you're fucking right. Sure. So, yeah, I'm, I've been I've been hoping to express myself in the training that you need to do more than just run and push-ups because that doesn't crush you physically. <laughs> Although, don't get me wrong, running can fucking suck and I understand that you can do push-ups to you puke but there is nothing like carrying a load of weight that just is bearing on you like everything you give it takes like a sandbag or a fucking yoke everything you you give like life you give it takes you give Mm -hmm. it takes but you keep fucking going and you have that one more foot i'm like dog if that doesn't represent life fuck off bro (laughs) you know like so I mean, we hope to bring that in definitely represents our lives (laughs) (laughs) every inch just gives god um you know, I find that there's, or I've always found it interesting that there's probably a lot of things that you have to coach differently for civil servants or operators, whatever you want to call them. So say, for example, in terms of a police officer who tends to be in a cruiser a lot and they're sitting a lot, outside of strength training, what are you beating into them in terms of maybe recovery or mobility or anything like that? What is a standard you set with them, like, aside from strength training, like, you have to do this. Yeah. I actually talk about this all the time. Um, I just talked about it Thursday. There's, for example, firefighters and police officers, pretty much the same. There's two things they end up with. There's uh, poor hearts um, and bad backs. And a high cancer rate, believe it or not. No kidding. Due to stress, lack of sleep, emotional distress, PTSD. It is a career that you chose to do and you should take it seriously. Now, the same equation I would give the athlete or the strongman. 
you know, I told, I laughed, I told the class, I go, the difference between you and me is that I'm a scumbag and I have head tattoos and I don't get six-figure retirement. <laughs> but yeah. I put my body on the line in that sense, right? Training. Sure. It's all about the cost-to-benefit ratio, the bank account uh, simulation we do constantly. You know, are you making deposits or withdrawals? If this is a career you really take seriously and you want to enjoy your retirement physically, mm. you need to be making more deposits. So back hygiene proper mechanics, trunk strength, functional mobility, meaning just mobile enough to do what you need to do. Should a, a firefighter and a police officer who are constantly crouching and sitting all day do a lot of below squat parallel, uh, below parallel squats? No, I don't think they should. I think they should be doing a little bit more belt squats, a little bit more box squats. I think it would serve them a purpose to do more strongman implements. Why? Because it's relatively high-hipped. Mm-hmm. Because their hips are already fucking beat from Smart. sitting down and in gear and shit like that all day yeah. that's just an opinion piece matt wedding would agree i think matt wedding says the same shit and he trains the whole people in his state but taking care of your spine is important big three walking fuck i can't explain that enough yeah. i mean it really i really can't exp- i can't it makes me grumpy when i see these guys uh you know i take my career seriously but they don't train they don't they don't stand right they don't sit right they're not optimizing. They want to deadlift, but they have no under. And that, you know what? It's not their fault. I'm not even mad at those guys. Sure. Because it's like me saying I want to take care of myself, but I don't know how to do an IV on myself. I'm like, well, fuck. I wish I did. But <laughs> you understand? Like it's out of their realm of understanding. They yeah. have too much other shit. So that's when people like I would like to think people like me come in and be like, "Hey, man, you're potentially very wrong, because in 20, 25 years, you're gonna want to be able to." No kids, whatever, but you want to play with your grandkids and enjoy your retirement money and not have a bad back and knee surgery because you just didn't want to train properly. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone wants to look good in their 30s in uniform, but that goes away. And I find that one of the things I do with them besides strongman movements is definitely back and trunk strength, weighted carries. I mean, that's what McGill said when we had him on our podcast. Yeah. You're welcome. He says the best way to train is like a strongman. Move, carry, throw, turn, and the longevity of that training is high. Most operators don't do that. They do two things, bodybuild and CrossFit, which, again, not to shit on anybody else, but what is the purpose of what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Are, from taking a, a human being out of a vehicle, a 200-pound person, you need to be moving fast, and it's typically 30 to 60 feet. How heavy are you training that you can be functional under stress to take a do- human being, dead weight most likely, that fast by doing a three mile run. I don't know. I mean, I looked at the class. I'm like, I'm 250 pounds, dog. Can you get me out of a fucking burning car? Because you can't. Right. Yeah. And so there's an optimum way of training. I'm not even being insulting or anything. It's just realization. Oh so sure. Yeah. A lot of movement, but back mechanics overall, and just what what is going to make you? If this is something you're serious about, what is going to make you the best operator possible? Sure. This is your career, right? Like I wouldn't get an, a police officer and be like. You can't deadlift 600? You're a pussy. I'm like, no, dude, that's stupid. Why would you want to deadlift? I'll tell them, like, why would you want to do that? Right. You're going to be in a cop car your whole life. Now, if they want to compete, you know, that's a different conversation. But if he's like, hey, I want to be, you know, really strong, go, well, then, dude, you should probably be going anywhere between four, 500, maybe 500, depending on your body weight, but do it with perfect form, with no pain, and you'll be able to move functionally with body weight and relative sprints and stuff like that, a, a quote-unquote functional operator training. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. But not like, oh, dog, yeah, you don't lift a stone, you're a punk. Like, no. That's just most people that try to dog on people. Oh, yeah, sure. But completely unnecessary just because you want to stroke your dick. Yes. 
Um, with those, uh, kind of the same area is we kind of harp a lot on sleep and recovery. Yeah. Are there some? Well, there obviously there is some challenges. How do you overcome the challenges of the different work schedules? Obviously, you get a lot of rookie police officers tend to work late uh, graveyard shifts, yeah. uh, and firefighters. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Those schedules are all over the place. Yeah, actually, that's a good. Qu- that's a really good question because actually, I train a bunch of them. Um, I would tell you this: What is more important to you? And unfortunately, that conversation gets much more serious as you age. Is being a good firefighter more important than being a strongman? Or is being a good strongman more important than you being a good firefighter? Unfortunately, for most people who go into those kind of, um, not most, but some of them that go into that career, they're very passionate about athletic endeavors. If you are going to focus on being a really good strongman, let's just say you strongman as an example, while you firefight, when you're doing you know 24 to 36-hour shifts, then the only thing you're going to have to pull away from is your real life. Meaning family, friends, fun shit is going to have to drop to like zero. Mm. Because those extra hours of the day where you should be doing, you know, going out to lunch with your friend, seeing your mom, having a couple movies, enjoying running with your dog are gone. Because you don't have those hours, right? You're using those hours as deposits. I'm going to take away from life and add into the strongman bank. I think 100% you can still train relatively optimally if you have good two to three days of training of good heavy days and one moderate training, considering that you're not sleeping, that you're overworked, you're very stressed out. Here's an example. You have two 24-hour shifts in a row. Should you train strongman when you get off shift? No, dude. You take that, that the next day, you take eight to 10 hours and you sleep. You don't sleep five and then go see your girl and then get fucked up at night and go see a movie and then come into the gym the next day thinking you're fresh. No, no, no. You lost that. You lost that privilege. You're trying to be a good strongman. You get, you get your eight hours of sleep and you make fucking time. Mm-hmm. So it, and it has to happen in waves, right? Yeah. Like you don't always have to be peaking and strongman. So how do I do with my, I get guys that come off shift tonight. We had again, Mike, he worked all night. He's like, dude, I'm fucking beat. I'm like, okay, drop the percentage, bud. Drop the percentage. You haven't slept. You're not going to be able to perform at a high level, but what can you get out of today? Technique. You can get find your weaknesses. You can get in shape. You can do fitness. And you're going to go home. And you're going to sleep for eight to ten hours. He goes, "Yeah, I'm not doing shit for a couple of days." Yeah, that's right. You're not. And when you do the same thing with police officers, they come off shift. You have to talk to them. How was your shift, man? Mm-hmm. Bro, I had a long shift. I saw some shit. It's crazy. Yeah. Is today the day to do a max effort deadlift? No. <laughs> and they're gonna be like, "Yeah, bro, but I can't." I go, "Fuck off." No, it's not. Yeah. It's not the way to do it. So it's really about fulfilling and pulling and pushing. You know, if you've had three days in a row, bro, take a couple of days off. Strongman's not going anywhere. Yeah. It's it's able to optimize. Now, if you're trying to peak in your career, you're trying to be a great firefighter, you shouldn't be doing heavy strongman off season. You're gonna that's it's a put it's a push and pull, right? Yeah. So it's really about being honest with yourself because I have a lot of guys that are like, Yeah, man, I want to be the greatest this and the greatest that. I'm like, when you're trying to be the greatest at something. That is the only thing in your life. Yeah. You know, you're trying to get overtime. You ain't. <laughs> no, you're not. You want to, you know, do an overtime shift for eight hours. Nope. That's eight hours of sleep. You should be giving up for sack for strongman. Yeah. Or powerlifting. And then happens in waves when you're done with the season. All right, bro. Now's your time to work overtime and do your bullshit. I don't know what the fuckers do, but sure. do your stuff. Right. Do you find yourself, uh, as you said, a lot of these guys come with uh, athletic backgrounds or 
competitive sports, whatever. Do you find that when you're coaching, you have to reel them in a bit more than, say, somebody who hasn't been or doesn't have that kind of athletic background? I would say that that type of job breeds or represents a certain type of personality. A lot of the people that come to the gym that are either operator or police officers or military or firefighters have a very ambitious, uh, forward-thinking mentality. That's probably what got them in the job in the first place. Not everyone just wants to be a police officer, per se, especially right. POs, because you know society tends to shit on them a lot. Um, and Miami, firefighting is relatively such. Them. Right, and everyone's <laughs> best friends, right? Um, and firefighting is a little bit saturated, but typically the personality types that come to my gym are it's about thinking, yes, I think you can do everything, but I'm asking you not to. They have that, I can do anything, anytime. I've been through some shit. I've seen a lot of things. And then it's given to the realization that that's fine. I'm sure you have. Trust me on this. I'm sure you have. But this is not your realm of expertise. I don't jump in your fire truck and tell you where to stick the fucking pin. That's true. And I go, and if you respect professionalism, you'll respect the fact that if you want, you can argue this scientifically. Most of them are relatively educated. You need rest, and you need to know when to stop because guess what? If I get hurt, I'm still going to make money. If you get hurt, you're fucked. If you fucking tear a hamstring or tear an ACL and you're on off duty for a while, you're not making dick. I'm going to be in crutches making money in my gym. <laughs> yeah. I mean, granted, I don't have any fucking <laughs> retirement or whatever, but you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And you have to explain to that, like, hey, man, let's hone this down and realize what your profession is first. Let's make the best of what we got. Typically, their big personalities just—it's more their personality, not necessarily their like their athletic prowess. It's just that hey, I can do this, I can do it. I'm like, oh, chill, bro. Yeah, right. Military, especially. Whew. <laughs> that's a fucking. You want to talk special forces, dude? Oh my god. Do you think that comes from like boot camp training and stuff? Do you I don't just training and training. I don't training. think it's boot camp. I no. honestly think it's it's the the life you surround yourself with, yeah. and then it's the it's the you know in most of those jobs, more is more. More hours, more shit you've seen, more crime you fought, more bodies you slay, more, you know, accidents you come into, the better experience you get in your job. So it's more, 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 less sleep, more work. And then you go to a coach is like, dude, you need to take four, four days off. So like, no, that's not how it works, especially military. Mm. You know, the more and it keeps them busy, man. That The mindset of military is a little bit different. That's a separate conversation. So. And thank you for that. Because yeah. that actually, I want to. I want some of my friends to hear that. I got a lot of friends who are firefighters and stuff. Yeah, yeah I like that portion too, man. I thought we'd <laughs> um, you, uh, along with getting ready to prep for nationals, you have gone back to an old passion. <sighs> I know. I knew this was coming now. Um, talk about reaching out to Wes to say, hey, I want to start training again. So, ugh. oh God, your smile is so disgusting. This is this I lady. hate it. What are those dimples? <laughs> ah, I can't stand them. It's the freaking. <laughs> 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 all right. So, ugh. Mm. first of all, I'd like to say that my first passion was martial arts. It was, it was, and is, and will always be one of my everything's in my life. I started at fourteen. You know, I wanted to t defend myself. I, I wasn't necessarily picked on. But I didn't want to be picked on. I, you know, I was a chubby kid. I had a, had a great person. I can defend myself verbally, but I refused to be like this target. You know, I knew it was coming if I didn't know how to defend myself, and so on and so forth. And years would go on from there. 
I got into fighting because I thought that men should fight. I mean, I'm not saying women shouldn't. I think they know how they should know how to fight, but I'm speaking for myself. I needed to know if I can push myself in the ring. And West was that source for me. Actually, he read the article recently that I wrote about him, and he hugged me. I almost lost my shit. That was on the battleaxgym.com. Um, yeah. And you can get that. There's <laughs> plenty of blogs there. You should read. They're great. There's something I don't know about. I got to write a new one, too. <laughs> um, but he, I dedicated that to him because he was somebody that came to me in my life when I needed guidance. Um, obviously, before I left to Penn State, he trained me in Thai. I started training martial arts at 14. I went under Wes's ring from uh, wing from like 17 about 19, and then I left, and I came back to fight with him. Mm-hmm. He was that one. You know, he was, he taught me everything, like uh, s- like slowing down and and not pushing forward and when to be a caged animal. He gave me my first nickname, Bear. You know, that was the first time somebody called me Mikey, and I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I'm, you can call me Mikey. Like, <laughs> I hated that name growing up, but in that circle, it meant something different. I was the young one, the young kid, young pup, trying to always go, go, go and prove myself. And he taught me to be be myself, to to push forward for myself, to to fight forward for me because I wanted to. You know, I remember the first time I wanted to put out of a fight. I had the highest amount of anxiety in my heart going up to my coach and being like, I, I don't want to fight. You know, I trained like two, three months. At the time, I was young, maybe 24. Being silly, I wanted to, I wanted to go out. I wanted to, I've been training for two and a half years, and it was every day. I trained every single day of my life. At 4.30 in the morning, I was running. I didn't, at night, I was training three hours. I didn't fuck around. I never cheated. I never did something without permission for years in my early 20s. I didn't fuck around, and I was tired. I just wanted to see what a normal 24, five-year-old would do, like, what it was to drink till two in the morning. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know that life. I yeah. started fighting at 22, 23. I remember the anxiety. Like, fuck, man, I gotta tell him. Man, what, my, what was my excuse? I just don't want to. It, I felt so small. And I, it took me a long time and I called him. And I'm like, hey, Wes, obviously I was like choked up and sh- like shaking. And I was like, ugh, you know, Six two big black guy. That's like my fucking dad, brother, mentor, coach, best friend. And he said, the, "He's like, don't you ever fight for me." I was like, "Ugh." He's like, "Don't you ever step in that ring doing this for anyone else but yourself." That's it. He said that to me, and I, you know, I, I obviously shed my tears because you never want to let your coach down. But that's it. I knew it, and I say that to my guys. Eleven years later. I still say that. I still say his words. I still call people boys. Come on, boy. Yeah. I say that now for, from him. And so reaching out to him, it's hard, it's hard to explain the level of respect and love and admiration you have. But when people give it to me, I don't get it. I feel undeserving. But when I give it to him, it's like, you deserve everything, Wes. Like, you made me the man I am today as far as training, uh, discipline, you know, courage, dude, oof, I can tell you stories, dude, that people would quit. I mean, he broke me in half. I remember one time, ugh, we went into, uh, I got back into training for a fight. It was January. I'd taken time off. I got fat. I was just, you know, fat, slow. Um, And I'd gotten out of a relationship, and I'm like, I need to get back in the ring. Like, this is bullshit. You know how I let myself go. I gained like 20 pounds drinking whatever. And it was the first day. And I was used to being the golden boy, and like I was uh, good, you know, I was really good. 
and he puts me in the ring and I'm, you know, moving around and he grabs, it's my turn and goes against him and he just fucking knees me over and over and over for like 30 seconds bullying me. Like, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't get out. I was getting hit so hard. Like you'd think that you can get out of that. And he just need embarrassed me. Mm-hmm. And I remember like fighting back tears, like, you know, like it was, first of all, I couldn't breathe and my ribs hurt and all that shit. And you know, I was hitting the liver and all these things and, yeah. and it hurt. And I sat there and I was like choked up and I knew why he did it. Yeah. You know, he did it to put me back in my fucking place because I deserved it. Yeah. I had left for bullshit reasons and, and, and he broke me. And I, I remember being to anybody else in this world, I would have been like, I'm going to kill this person, you know, but <laughs> yeah. his position, I remember his position put me in such a great place. It, it centered me. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, I deserve this. Like, this is, this is what I need to do. And this is how I need to start this path. And it was in front of everybody, dude. Like, I remember really being, like, super upset about it. But yeah. in the long run, uh, that formed that curve. And the same things when I, when I tell my lifters all the time. I'm like, I don't ever want to put myself, my journey above anyone else's. Sure. But I want you to know that mine was honed through the warrior spirit. I paid the price physically for being a piece of shit. When I missed training, when I came in Hanover, when I was one minute late, I got fucked up. And I do, that's my, that's who I am. That's, that's the way I like to learn things. I got fucked up. Yeah. We put it in the ring and we solved it like men. And Wes could always beat my ass. Probably still can beat my ass, to be honest <laughs> with you. And that changed me as a man. It made me a young man. Yeah, it sure. set me on the path, right? So when I reached out to him, I was like, he reached out. So he reached out to me saying, hey, you know, I'm coming by on Thursday. I'm teaching on Thursdays. I can tell you right now, I almost dropped that fucking phone. Like, I got choked up. I'm like, are you, are you serious? I hadn't trained with Wes in eight years. Wow. And I swore, and I wrote it, I swore I would never train with another teacher again. Yep. Eight fucking years. I, I can't express this enough. It's like, get the thing that you love the most and letting it go to pursue something else because you love it so much you can't hold on to it. So he he reaches out to you, he says he's teaching. Talk about <laughs> talking about walking through the doors for the first time and seeing Wes standing there. Ugh. So I'll tell you even something funnier. I don't know if it's funny, but were you anxious? Like it was your first nervous. time? Yeah, I was a boy. <laughs> I, I I literally <laughs> back to the future kid. Shoes oh. too big. Wow. Shirt all big. Like I became a. Fu- I met West at fifteen. Yeah. I became that anxious little kid that I tra- he taught me how to run. He taught me how to train. He taught me all the physical stuff. He taught me how to run track. I was fast as fuck back then. Pretty fast right now. Um, and I felt like an anxious student again. Mm. And I'm like, oh. When's the last time you felt that way? Up until that moment, before that, and, and maybe a strong man training with someone, maybe no, not since him. That's not since training. Muay Thai was what I, that was it. Yeah. Okay. Strong man had been uh, to. I felt nerves, sure, and anxiety, um, but never, never that student baby boy curious like 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 look at me like I did good like here's my <laughs> here's my drawing put it on the refrigerator like <laughs> I. I don't have it. I don't have that with anyone. Wes was the one. Like, because 
I had, I felt like I had not peaked, but I had, the fighting was such a big deal for me that when I, you know, obviously there's strongman coaches and people that I cheese about there, but they're not my coaches, you yeah, know, right. or they're remote coaches. It's different. Sure. They're peers and stuff like that. Um, but I remember I had to go through all my Muay Thai clothes. And it had been, the, la- the last time I had gone through Muay Thai clothes to use for Muay Thai was eight years ago. Wow. And they were just in the same drawer. In the same little red cubby thing. And I remember the same way they left them. They even had that smell of like, this has not been used in eight years. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, here are my wraps. You know, and I remember yeah. like, I know these tie shorts, they have the hole in them. And I didn't used to not care because I'd wear like, uh, you know, like briefs or whatever on there. I'm like, these fit, these don't. And I'm going through, I'm rolling up my wraps, you know, like, but this time it's for tie. And I can, I can tell you like the tightness of it and the, the squeezing of everything and just being like super emotional every single step of the way because i hadn't done that and i thought it was just kind of done with it (laughs) i thought he would never teach again you know yeah sure and uh so when i walked in it was that he was teaching that he's teaching at a a friend of ours uh course yeah and i remember like wrapping my hands i mean i can't i wrap my hands hundreds and hundreds of times and it told me he was putting on armor like i remember putting on my gloves i'm like this is my he would tell me he's like that's your gladiator armor like you never put on your wraps Without knowing that you're gonna hit something, it's like picking up your shield, you know, grabbing that barbell for res- you know with respect. So I put them on and I'm putting on my gloves and the same thing. Like Mike Tyson would say, you already he would just put his knuckles all the way into the leather so you can feel it. Like all the thousands of speeches I heard about people putting fighting things on, I can feel like the worn stink glove and like in the velcro the sound that I hadn't put on in years for the right reasons, you know. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm like in my shorts, obviously I'm way fatter than when I used to train with. <laughs> Hanging on my thread. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, more of a rhino than a gazelle, but it it was an, a euphoric expression of emotion just to hit again, uh, just to be fortunate enough to still move that way. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it was one of the best feelings I've had in oof, uh, so many years. You know, it felt like I won fucking a championship in strongman. Like, it, even probably just about the same. And I was just wow. a student again. Like, learning and obviously a little bit more advanced than some of the guys there that's it just because of experience but man i can recall it just the feeling of those things that i had done hundreds of times before for real reasons to yeah. really hurt people and and push my body at 24 25 26 it was it was awesome man like yeah. the word is truly awesome like yeah it was awesome. fucking awesome yeah it's cool you know what i don't think a lot of people know and i'm curious to know if you don't mind answering what what made you walk away from fighting and, and pick up strongman? Like, how did the two kind of meet? And then what made you make the decision? Okay, fighting, I'm going to walk away from fighting to pursue strongman. That's a good question. And you know what? A lot of people don't know that. Um, I always say that you have to have heart when you're doing something. It's all the way. Uh, I always believe that. I had been training. I was on my sixth fight. I had been training a year straight. I didn't, we didn't, I think I took, I won the ch- fight to get to the last championship. I was for the state championship. I took a week off. And by off, I mean not hitting anything because your brain's all fucked up. Mm. And then started training again. I fought a guy that he obviously was way overweight, but they put the scale on a, on a carpet. And you know that cuts off two, three pounds. And the way I lost that fight, it, it broke my heart. It, it, I didn't win. It was a five-round right for the state championship. He knocked me down, not out. What's the difference? And I lost that fight by like a couple points. And 
I was brokenhearted. Like my heart was so broken. I had trained so hard for that fight to be to lose to somebody who I thought was better than I was better than. I was a little bit out muscled. He probably was all juiced up. I don't know. But it doesn't matter. Even then I wish I would have been a fucking juice like that. <laughs> Let's be real. But it just broke my heart to have been in the game for almost five years and I wasn't in it anymore. My body was hurting. My mind was tired. You know, the training didn't feel right anymore. Um, and to step into the ring to risk your life, because that's what it is, yeah, sure. you have to be in it all the way. You know, you're not going to tear a bicep. You're, you're suffering brain damage. A one good kick, one good knee, and you're, you're done for life. And the way you hit is to kill. You don't hit somebody to hurt. You, you're going right. to fucking kill them. And I lost it. I, lo- I was so brokenhearted, I lost it. It's like, like we're breaking up. You know, let's go see other people kind of thing. I still care about you, yeah. but I can't do this anymore. Like I, And I, I hated, you know, you see it when people need to stop. Not like I was a fucking great fighter, this legendary fighter. I had six, you know, decent fights. And, but I had, in that weight class, I had been 3-0. and And I was going for that championship, but I was brokenhearted. And I refused to step into the ring unless I was going to do it all the way. Um, and that made the transition into what is going to fulfill this void? What is going to, it was a big void. Like, who am I now? You know, it's like when I got hurt on my back, like if I'm not Mike, the Muay Thai fighter, what am I? I mean, I was planning to win and go to Thailand and, and, and train to be a pro fighter and have a cup. Like I was saving up money. I was gone. Yeah. And I lost and I just kind of broke me. I'm like, man, for what? You know, and guilty. I mean, it was 27, maybe. I don't remember. 26, 27. And I, I was like, I refuse to step into the ring without a full heart. And then I started finally, I'm like, well, now I'm free to do things because I really only did Muay Thai. I yeah. didn't play soccer. I didn't do anything. The only thing I did was to, I ran, swam. I used to run like 30, 40 miles a week. I used to swim every day. I biked. I made time. I, I woke up four in the morning every night. I would go at 10 o'clock at night. Sometimes I'd go to sleep at midnight. Because I was running home because my bro- car broke down. And I would run an extra two miles one way to run eight miles home just because more is more, right? Yeah. Nonstop. It was obsessive. And that's that how I am. That's what I do. Um, and I was out. And I fulfilled the void by finding strongman, rugby, powerlifting, who continued to fill that void. Because that the void that fighting leaves is... I would not compare it to war, but it's in that sense. You sure. know, you've been to battle. Yeah. Now what? <laughs> and everything's kind of like, and anyone who's ever stepped in the ring will tell you the same thing, that there's a void that you can't fulfill, and all you do is, like, you stay real busy with other things, and Strongman's been the best for that because yeah. I'm an insane person. So I need that cathartic experience, you know? Like, slamming a fucking barbell to the ground is the closest thing to knocking somebody out. Right, sure. And you actually called fighting your first love which i thought was pretty good and that can be found on the balance <laughs> in the blog section <laughs> it is my um, first love but you know you do you do kind of uh you speak on love and you speak on passion mostly passion more i think as men we just kind of get away from the word love because bleh. yeah but right. uh you call that your first love and um you do speak about passion a lot can someone love a sport and not be passionate about it or vice versa, can they be passionate about it and not love it? So, God damn it, that's a good question. No. You have to have both. Mm. I, maybe that's my opinion now at 34. If you're going to be, if you're truly passionate about something, you love it. 
If you truly love something, you can't love without passion. Personally, that's what I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, passion is one of my greatest and worst attributes. But you cannot love something without passion. You cannot uh, pursue something with pure, genuine love if you're not fucking passionate about it. You have to be. It is, it is what you love. It is everything to you. It is what makes you go. It is what shapes your day. It is the one fucking reason sometimes why you you keep going. Why you have one more foot and one more day. That is love. That is passion. There, there is no, I'm kind of passionate about it. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> yeah. You're exactly. kind of passionate? Well, you, uh, no. Like, uh, that doesn't exist to me. Are you kind of dead? Like, <laughs> no. Only on yeah, the inside. Yeah. <laughs> right, which is way better. <laughs> but it. It, that's me. Yeah, I'm, sure. I'm typically, when I truly, when I say I love Strongman, I fucking love it. Mm-hmm. I'm passionate about it. You know, do I still, do I still have feelings for fighting? Will it be my first love? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it'll always be that kind of love. And I feel like there's levels of love, right? Sure. But it's, it's a shadow of what it was. So after that loss, would you say that your love for the sport faded or your passion faded? I think the love for myself as a fighter faded. Mm. It was me. It was against me. Not the, the sport never did me wrong. Right. I like that. That was good. Oh, son of a bench. Yes. <laughs> That's <a> powerful <laughs> question. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, wait, en- enough about me because <coughs> all of these great questions have been brought to you by me. Um, <laughs> I'm tooting my own horn here. But but <laughs> <laughs> um, we got some submitted questions that I kind of wanted to get to, um, even though we have had a wonderful time here. <laughs> um, re- recently, we had a submission from Thousand Movie Project, which is Rudy's brother. Yeah, man. Awesome. That's actually Thousand Movie Project. He's literally trying to watch a thousand movie in a thousand days. That's why his name is that. Oh, really? He watches one movie. Every day for a thousand days. I could do that with three hundred. Yeah. <laughs> Every yeah, day for a thousand days. Of course, I could. I could not. I hate myself. I can't even watch like an hour show. <laughs> so, um, he submitted a bunch of questions, but uh, this is one that I think kind of ties in today. Uh, he says, "When Christopher Hithens was on his deathbed, miserable from chemo, he had a realization that he jotted in his unfinished book about dying. He said, I 'I don't have a body.'" I am a body. As a strength athlete, you use your body different from how most of us use it. Uh, for example, a vehicle that carries our, our consciousness, soul, whatever, from one place to another, a sex go- organ, a food depository. You study your body to build it. How would you characterize your relationship with your body? Is it a tool? <laughs> I love this reference because the 80s. Is it a gremlin (laughs) (laughs) that you feed at certain hours and manage like clockwork? Also, keep away from water. Yes. Yeah, you can come up, Maria. (laughs) Um, That's a really good question, first of all. I think you have some really good questions. Um, I've always considered my body, not always, for many, many years, a weapon. Now, I know what people are going to think when they say that, that it it sounds like this tough guy, tactical, quote-unquote, alpha male thing, but it's not. Mm. A weapon can defend. A weapon can protect. It can be put away. It can also harm. It can also kill. And that's what it's meant to be. 
-hmm. There is no change in a weapon. A weapon will always be a weapon. No matter where you put a sword, it is a sword. Whether it's in the hands of a killer, a child, or a dog, or an old lady. It knows what it is. And there's no changing. I've always considered myself, at least for a while, I know what and who I am. Mm -hmm. And I will hone it to the day I die. How I express myself and how I use myself, it is completely up to me. If I want to swing and smash and destroy, I will do so. If I want to sit in a dusty cabinet and waste away to the last days of my life, being unnoticed and uncared for, I will. If I want to be someone who protects somebody until the end of time, I will. And physical strength and sport and a strength athlete has given me the ability to express that weaponry at will. Mm -hmm. So if I want to do something, I will. If I don't, I don't. But I know what and who I am. And my training and my personality and my expression will always be Michael Della Pava, always. So that's why I consider myself a weapon in the non or the not cool meme way. Yeah, right. That's, you know, when to be sheathed and when to be fucking shit up. Yeah, ever since Punisher came out on Netflix. Yeah, everyone, <laughs> everyone's Frank Castle. Oh, God. Um, so another good one that I really liked was from Danny, is it is his last name, Aguirre? Aguirre. Oh, okay. Well, You're I'm so not going to be able to say that because <laughs> I'm, I'm a Caucasian. And he says, it's something that I've been struggling with. After lifting for nearly 40 years and going on 52, good for you. I'm going to be dead by then. Um, yeah. Now it's been really hard for me to scale back my training and accept my age in order to recover from my sessions. I'll have a really good session, and then I find myself wanting to get right back in and push it even harder. What are some suggestions you can give on how to help deal with the acceptance that we can't just keep doing what we used to do to get the same results? First of all, <laughs> shout out to Danny, man, cancer survivor. So wow, fuck yeah, um, still going too. And even even when he, I spoke to him when he got diagnosed with it again. It's like he didn't skip a beat. So shout up to you, man. You're a fucking badass. Um, I'll tell you this. I th- I thought of, I read this question earlier in the week, and it's the only question that I've ever sat on and thought about yeah. because it's happening to me. Now, people would say, well, you're 34, right? You know, what do you know? You're a young man. I go, okay. But what I've done in sports and to my body in the last 13 years is more, way more than the average person. You know, I've damaged it because, again, it's all the way. Mm-hmm. I played rugby all the way. I did fighting all the way, strongman all the way. More withdrawals than deposits in those Absolutely. Years. Way more. And I was in the red for years and I paid the price, right? And I'm paying the price. So I take this one seriously. It's why I have the old wolf tattoos on my knuckles and why I wear that relatively proudly. If I would have been called an old wolf in my 20s, I would have been like, fuck you, you know. <laughs> um, I've given it thought and actually thought about this today. I was talking to um, the people at the gym. And you are going to face so many wars in life. And those wars are typically... Uh, the, the wars are irrelevant to your age. Your age is irrelevant to that war. I know people who have fought bigger wars at their teens or even a five-year-old boy than most 45-year-old people will ever fight. What you do with the time given or the circumstance in your life given 
is your war and your age is irrelevant. It is how you rise to the occasion. Let me explain. At 34, my spine is 50-something. My body is in its 40s. The heart inside of me beats at 21. What am I going to do? I now have the appreciation of an old man with a young man's heart. What am I going to do? I'm going to make every single session as optimal as possible. And that takes two things, wisdom and intelligence. And they're two different things. I feel wisdom is from what's behind you. Intelligence is what you're going to use to go forward. Now, you now have to accept that you can't lift like a young man anymore. But why would you? Why would you want to lift like a young person? That person's dead now. You have earned the right to say, I'm too tired to lift. I'm going to go home. And no one's going to look at you differently. You have earned the right to say, my back hurts. My knee hurts. I need to train differently. I need to go for singles. And you need to look in the mirror and you need to say that proudly. It's the only thing that keeps me going when I say things like this. This is what I say to myself every day. Because that young man and that fire in your soul will never, ever go away. They will always scream at you. Go harder. Go more. Do one more set. Don't be a pussy. You're fine. Age is just a number. It's not. Experience is everything. Use it. Be proud of that. And it will actually guide you to making smarter decisions. Surround yourself with people who respect that. It is so important. I promise you. I understand that I'm not... 52 years old nor Danny that you think you're asking me this question because I know you respect my answer and that's that's insane to me that at 34 I can give you advice but it only goes to show you that age is uh, the number is irrelevant it's experience isn't it I'll tell you this you do what you need to do with what you have and that defines an athlete from 12 to 92 because there are people out there, and you know it because you've been through some shit, and most of us have, that are missing a lot more than what we have. And guess what? They do what they can with what they have. And they make the best of it. And if you want to talk nerdy, you want to get real nerdy about it, it's called optimization, which is the elite form of training. Which means you train as much as you need to train to optimize a training session to get what you need to do to get on the platform. And that's irrelevant of age, too. So those are the two answers I would give to you is your perspective on the war you're fighting that has nothing to do with the age, but your psychological perspective on it. And then optimizing your training session, understanding your body can no longer do certain things like high volume or smashing a weight or yanking off the floor. But guess what? You're better than that because you earned a bigger title. I hope that fucking helps because that's how I talk to myself every goddamn day. What an answer. <laughs> God. Should have closed my eyes. Seriously. Jeez. Um, our buddy Leo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He asks, he asks a good question. He says, what's your thoughts or opinion on the comment, oh, it's just a, ha a hobby, when people are talking about strength sports? I like that question. I do too. So, as a younger man, I would have said, fuck you, you're a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll still say that. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. How are they saying it is what matters. Yeah. If they're saying it in a way of being degrading because they are fearful for what you're capable of, I think you should defend yourself and in your own way, whoever your personality is, tell them to fuck off. 
Because if it was just a hobby, then why would you take the benefits of what is done for my life? Right? You reap the benefits of my kindness, of my happiness, of my nature to give, of being there for you physically and mentally, my emotional stability, my financial gains in my situation. You're going to reap all the benefits. But when shit hits the fan, you're going to tell me it's a hobby because you don't want to sit with me in the shitter when I'm hurt. Mm -hmm. And that's typically when people start to say that is when they look upon you and they reflect upon themselves. They're like, I can't be that person. So it's just a hobby. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this in my life. They're like, Mike, but yeah, strength training is just a hobby. I'm like, that's why you and me won't hang out all the time. And like how we said earlier, that's why no one will remember your name. Because I don't see it as a hobby. I see it as a way of it changing my life. Mm -hmm. It isn't fair that things like music and art and cinema, if you can say the same thing. Sure. Oh, it's just a hobby. I would never say that to a real artist. I would never because the man I'm looking at or woman I'm looking at has been defined by their passion. I respond mostly in two ways. Obviously, most of the time I'm like, it depends on how they're feeding this to me. Sure. Most of the time they're saying it because, yeah, they're weak and they look upon me like, I can never be like that. Let me try to bring them down a level and say like, well, it's just a hobby. Mm -hmm. And instantly if I really feel that, I'm like, well, fuck you. Because it's not a hobby. It saved my life. That's right. It saved my friend's life. It has saved lives. And you're going to say what now? And then you tell them that. You tell them it saved my life. <laughs> it saved my friend's life. It has saved, I literally, I can tell you, many people's lives. If it was just a hobby, what would you say to those people? Sure. That the only reason why they get up in the morning sometimes is to, quote unquote, do this hobby. Oh, well, yeah. No, shut up, man. <laughs> I see it all the time. Yeah. And it's it's it depends. Now, if the person's really saying, well, it's just a hobby, typically if I try to push, I go, if you dig deeper, it's a way of life. And I say nothing else. Sure. Because you can't tell people ultimately what to do all the time. You mm -hmm. can only show them. So if I tell them, oh, it's more than a hobby, trust me, no, I go, just dig deeper. Maybe it's bigger. And then they look at you and they see what you do and how you look and how you act and your prowess. And the courageous will follow suit and the pushes will sit there and say it's a hobby. I hope that helps. I think that's I think that's a great answer. I'll, I'll piggyback on that as well because <coughs> I get asked that a lot. And for me, it's obviously uh, a lot of mental release. That's me getting past a lot of the demons that I deal with every day. I pity those people pretty often because I think that those people live a loveless life. Mm. I think that they go through their day and they go through their job and they do just enough every single day just to get through the day. They never pursue anything outside of what they have to and their life is empty. So hobbies are throwaway things. Yeah. When it gets challenging, I'll just get rid of it. Mm. And they do that at work quit or they won't work overtime or they won't do the extra to get where they want to be they'll just accept life as it is in its mediocrity and that'll be it and that'll be the rest of their life just like a model car right yeah just and they will be sitting in a retirement home telling all the stories of i wish 
we will be in that same retirement home racing in wheelchairs <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, they'll be like, oh, I knew this guy that did this and then this and that. I'm like, yeah, but I am that guy. You know, there's, uh, there's certain things to this. Yeah, of course, there's a fucking difference between a hobby and a passion. Of course. You know, building a model car, to me, is a hobby. But to some people, it's that's their thing. Yeah. That's what they want to do. You got to be respectful about it. And it boils down to really, and I like your answer a lot, by the way, John. Thank you. Is how they're, how they're saying that. Yeah, sure. Right? If they're saying it, you know, express yourself with respect. You know, you want to be a representative of your sport. If they're saying it's just a hobby, you're like, okay, good. But not for me. It's a way of life. Yeah. They want to go further than that? Well, that's your <laughs> it's up to you if you want to throw hands. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, ultimately I I think I think that was a really good answer in your part too, John. Yeah, I think Leo, you will uh, be a great representative of Strongman one day. Wow, no yes. Pressure. When you're done with this powerlifting boop hey, anyways, good luck. Yeah, yeah next no, week. No, we're proud. Really proud of Love the keys so much. Yeah. One of the kilos. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> um so our last episode, we were talking about your anniversary, and, and we didn't get to a question, which I liked, um, from Broward Barbell. And basically, the question was, why is the Battleaxe clan stuck together? Mm. Compared to other gyms and crews that tend to change constantly over time. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> that would have been a good on the last one it would have just been a tearjerker. Jesus Christ. I know. Shout out to Broward Barbell, man. They're good people. Yeah. Um, If I have to say why we've stuck together over time, I think it's because we all have lost something. So, in essence, what I think is really is it's a it's a place for people who have lost something in their lives. And I don't have to necessarily mean like um, somebody passing away or something. It's a loss of control. It's a loss of a friend. It's a loss of destiny. It's a loss of a job. It's a loss of love and passion, and it's a place where people go to search. And what they find at the Battle Axe Gym is that they're a lot bigger than themselves. And that, I feel, is the Battle Axe Gym. You step into that gym, a part of people who no longer just live for themselves. And I hope, in some small way, that I have given that example over seven years of being an asshole that when you step in there, every single person has given up something that they've lost and continue to do so to be a part of a group that thinks outside of itself. I can't express that enough verbatim. We go to meets together. We sacrifice time. We go to meets together. We sacrifice family. We cheer each other on because we really care about that person because we know what it feels like not to be cheered on. We know what it feels like not to be respected for our sport of choice or maybe our career of choice or people we've chosen in our life. We know what it is to lose and to be losers. And we finally have taken control in our lives by working really fucking hard. And those are the only people I want in my fucking gym. And it shows. I picked and choose people all the time. The spirit, the courage. You can smell cowardice. You can smell people who don't know what it is to really lose. And here they found something. Here they're not lost. They're not alone because you can't stand as an individual in the battle axe gym. There is no individual. Every single person is there for somebody else, for the man next to them. 
I can feel it. And it, it takes time. It takes time. But when you get there, you've earned it. And man, when you earn something in life, dude, it's so sweet. Mm. And I've made sure to put people through the fucking ringer to say your battle axe clan. And when you feel it and it's in your heart, you'll be there forever. Even when you leave. Mm -hmm. There's a part of you that goes with you. There's a part of piece of the battle axiom that travels. I can't express it. It's it's a thing in the air. I, I've had people describe it as a thing. In, there's something in the battle axe. There is a something. Mm -hmm. I go, I know what it is. It's because we've all lost something. And we found that thing to pull us back in. And those are the ones that last forever. Those are the ones cleaning the gym, loading the barbells, replacing things, asking if we need anything. That's home. You can't say that about many things. That's home. And you've made it. And that to me is how we've lasted seven years. And that's how I feel. Most of us, even if people leave, everything ends, people got to go. The Battle Axe Clan, the Battle Axe will always be because of that. Legacy is forever. It's more than the walls now. We talked about it. Yeah. So I hope that answers your question. I know it's very, like always, philosophical, but when you want to build a culture, it is not the tangible things. I've seen many beautiful, incredibly incredible gyms with all the newest things have nothing. Mm -hmm. If it was tangible, I mean, shit, I'd be fucked. <laughs> and uh, I, ho I hope that that answers that question that you need to you need to sit with everyone. You need to talk to your lifters. You need to let them express each other in the sense of respect. Build a culture by having your, your set standards, discipline, courage, respect, and see how that grows. Plant those seeds and see the people you attract, and you'll see. If you let them grow, it will become something. So that's the battle axe gym, I think. God, every time. I hate it. Stupid, stupid podcast. I'm going to go home and Chad punch a wall. <laughs> <coughs> we'll break it up a little bit. Uh, we got a question from Brandon Walshy. Uh, oh, yeah. He was here today. Helped his deadlift. He's going to, uh, he's going to be traveling for a little bit. And obviously, he's prepping for nationals. Same thing. Hey. I mean, not me because <laughs> I'm fat. But um, no. <laughs> I'm really easy to hug, though. So, you know. Easily huggable? Uh, yeah. Heavyweights. I feel great in your arms. I mean, someone's arms. Mm. What? Mm -mm. <laughs> he's asking, since he's going to be traveling, is there some kind of high-frequency movement? I'm thinking five times a week that I could perform with, and this is specific, and I don't know why. Maybe this is what he can travel with. A 70-pound kettlebell that could help my deficit deadlift for nationals. He said he spoke to his coach, Junkyard, and he advised Jefferson curls. Anything else? <sighs> I'm going to go on and say that uh, the four-inch deficit deadlift is not a representation of strength per se. Rather, a person with better leveraging winning or the person with the most gifted spine that doesn't get hurt. I think it's an awful representation of, of strength. I think it's a stupid event in general. Uh, but let's go past that. I think that what you can do with those particular kettlebells, honestly, suitcase carries. Mm. I think what's going to hold you accountable during that lift is a really, really strong trunk. 
And there is nothing more beneficial for the spine and trunk strength than weighted carries. And with a 75-pound bell, you're going to be a beast. Mm. So that even on your worst deficit deadlift, you're going to probably be safest. I would put single leg RDL second. That's, I mean, just keep it simple. Suitcase carries. If you had another one, I'd do kettlebell farmers. And I mean for like maybe 150 foot, 200 foot per hand tight the way that it should be doing like a McGill method. Mm -hmm. And then, and then single leg RDLs just to keep your body in shape. But I really don't think there's anything that you can really do to maximize the four inch deficit deadlift unless you have the gifted hips. I can tell you right now that no matter what I train, I'm going to suck at that lift mm. because, I mean, my hips aren't for it. And the person that told me directly that I'll never be good at deficit deadlifts was Stuart McGill. <laughs> He's like, your hips suck for this. I go, I know. That's why I shit you off the floor. But as soon as it gets to my hips, he goes, I can throw. I can run. I can move. I can take yokes like a beast because mm. you'll never have the de- – and I can't. I, every time I did deficit deadlifts in the past, it fucked me. So yeah. suitcase carrying. Um, ease into that axle deficit, but unfortunately, you can put it all you want. But I think it just it involves more decay than anything. That's okay. a stupid event. <laughs> uh, you know, stupid. That was a great old man rant, by the way. Yeah, I felt that. it. I really appreciate that. I can I'm gonna uh, get off the live here because we're getting all the yeah. Thanks shit. for tuning in, guys. Yeah. Uh, you get to look at Michael Dela Pavlo the whole time, so you're blessed. <laughs> Take that home. Merry Christmas, folks. And a tank top. <laughs> um, to tie into kind of with nationals and stuff coming up, we had a question from Christine. Okay. And the question was kind of, what do you do for jitters or nerves with, with, I guess, pre-comp and then during? I saw a really interesting uh, – I'm going to answer this question because it seems similar to what I felt. I saw a really good docu- – UFC has been making really good documentaries, and there's one on Jordan St. Pierre. And it talked about being bullied and how he overcame bullying and stuff like that. And he's, he's talking about his jitters. And you're talking about probably the most dominant 170 of all time. Yeah. He's like, I was always nervous. I just acted confidence. Mm-hmm. Like, you could never tell that he was nervous. He would walk up to that. I mean, when he would walk, I'm like, that, that dude's a G. Like, yeah. he, does, he looks fine. He goes, but I was, like, scared shitless. But I would act almost like fake it till you make it. Yeah. Um, and face fear head on and use it in a sense. And I'm like, well, sh- that's exactly what I said. Yeah. You know, they asked me like, oh, Mike, you seem, you're fine. Like, there's no jitters. I'm like, you have no idea what's going on in my stomach right now, dude. <laughs> um, should, what can you do about jitters? Nothing. They're there like the air. It's what you do with them that will make you a great athlete and your perception. One day those jitters will die. That anxiety before lifting will go. You will be too old, too tired, or too broken, or too dead. I embrace them as a sign that I still have a will to live. That's all I see them as, a fuel source. I, I, I feel it even as I'm talking right now, I can feel them. I breathe them in like really deep into my stomach and feel that that feeling is not forever. And it ends up almost always, in my case, fueling me that man i'm scared but guess what so is everyone else but what am i going to do with this how am i going to perceive it how am i going to stand with this fear and that being good at being scared and being good at being wrong perspective has changed my life yes you see me and you're like mike's fine 
or I act a certain way, and you're like, he's he's fucking ready. Yeah. But inside, I it's like a war zone, and I I have to tell myself, and I do, that those feelings are fleeting because I have lost them before. And it's like this beautiful feeling of I still feel this. I need to embrace this. I'm going to use this as I go forward. And I always tell my people, I'm like, breathe. You've trained. This is the best feeling in the world. You're ready for this. Now execute. And I'll say, breathe, breathe, breathe. I've been, I trained. I'm trained. I'm ready, man. I'm fucking ready. You see me? I'm like, I'm fucking ready, motherfucker. I'm fucking ready. And you can see me saying it. I've been through this. I'm like, I'm going to fuck this shit up. And I'm inside. I am scared shitless. I'm just talking to myself because I know those feelings won't be forever. Mm-hmm. I don't get that driving up to getting out of Publix, you know. <laughs> you know, when I hurt my spine, I thought I'd never say that again. Mm. So trust me when I tell you that those jitters are part of the best gift of life. Wow. God. I guess I do everything like that, huh? <laughs> One day I'm going to get you. You're no. going to be bad at something. Oh. Spelling. <laughs> Spelling. Except um, the word syllable, which is a word apparently. Well, with the iPhones, you pretty much get everything corrected anyways. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid spelling. Basically an English major at this point. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, our buddy Kevin. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin fixed fix me. me. Yep. He, he asked if you could elaborate and explore the thought on doing what's best for us and what's best for others and the relationship or balance of what we should or must have. Hmm. And I think that would be, I think he's speaking on a professional level. Okay. That's a, that's a good one. Now the term should and must are personal perspective. Should is a responsibility. Must is agreed. What you should do is what you're responsible for people you love, the people you care about, your business, your culture, your legacy. Those are the things you should do. What you must have are things you want. Money, fame, fortune, pussy, whatever. My favorite quote to answer this would be in the movie Gladiator. He says, yes, I forgot his fucking assistant's name. And he answers, he goes, what would you do? He goes, sometimes I do what I want. And most of the time, I do what I have to do. And that would really define the relationship between balance. There is no balance. What you should do is predominantly the highest point of your life. It's the 70%. What you must have should be the 30%. That's how I live my life. Eventually, you can lessen that, right? But I think the, the true leaders, or as he would say, the luck makers, the true alphas, it's not an even scale. My life is 90-10. What I should do is the biggest source of my life. It consumes me constantly. Like you never, you can never clock out as a leader. You can never clock out as somebody who is a difference maker. If you're doing what you should do. When you do what you want to do, or what you must do in the sense of must have, I'm going to take that as you're just doing things you want to do. And that's fine, man. That is. That is fine. But what are you trying to do with it? So I would say that there is no balance. It, life is unfair, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I, everyone, I get it. Listen, I get it. In the esoteric, philosophical, yin and yang of balance, I get it. 
And that's a lifelong journey. And there's going to be times in your life where you do have that. Mm-hmm. Nothing is forever. Everything ends. It's fleeting. Sure. There could be a moment where, you know, your finances are set and your family's set and everything's great. And then it's gone. Yeah. And something bad happens. Well, now what? Well, it's always a fight for that, right? Like the tattoo in the back of my head, I exist in a forest fire. That is my life. I will always be at the 70, 30, 80, 20. Because if I start to give to what I should do, I'm a wild animal. And I'll, I'll plummet. So as a, as a business owner, as a person that is in a leadership position, if you've been lucky enough to be gifted the title of leader or coach or alpha or whatever the fuck, that's it. You will always mostly do what you should do. And sometimes you'll do what you want to do. I like that. That was good. I would uh, add a little bit to that as well. And I think that in some cases, Mike and I are similar, especially in our destructive patterns. <coughs> um, I think that some of that is also finding balance in your imbalances. In your 70-30, you're finding a center. And it's that understanding how to rotate those percentages to make them work in the should ways. That's what I would add to that. That's perfect. Yeah. I agree. Um, we have another question. We got time for... Yeah, we started this podcast late. That dude can go away. <laughs> Take that, next yeah, podcast. For real. Stupid idiots. We started at what, 210? Um... I don't know. Unedited, don't unedited sassy pants. <laughs> um, so we have a question from probably someone not too important. <laughs> uh, Lexi uh, says, earlier this week, I heard someone say, leaders aren't born. Leaders are made. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's one or the other, a combination of the two, or something completely different? It's funny, it's like the chicken chicken or the egg thing, right? Yep. When I was growing up, I would say, leaders are born. I would now say, I don't know if this is the right answer, but I don't give a fuck. Because I, I feel this is true in my heart. You are born with leadership qualities, but great leaders are made. So I've seen people who have started with really like poor leadership qualities. But life has placed them in corners and situations where they have been forged in a fire I cannot even express. It's probably bigger than anything I've ever felt. And they have become the word great. And I use the word great, not good. And I use the word great in a big sense. Great leaders. I think there are people who are born with certain attributes. Charisma, energy, ambition, certain things that they, they genetically they've been gifted with certain things. That doesn't, that doesn't make a good leader or a great leader. I've seen people who I'm like, man, that would be, that guy would be such a great leader. He just wasn't such a piece of shit. <laughs> He's talking you know? about me. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> what? <laughs> but life has put these people in a certain pathway. It's just not there anymore. It's yeah. just, it's just, it's the, the ship has sailed. So if I were to answer that question, and if I had to pick one, I think great leaders are made. I I would stand by that in any in any way. Because I'll tell you what, 
I used to attribute certain things like leadership qualities, like you know, ambition, charisma, uh, extroverted, outgoing. And I was like, the only way you can be a leader is by saying a lot. Yeah. I have followed people in my life who don't say much at all, and I would die for them. Mm-hmm. I remember, we, here's an example. Wes, his attitude compared to mine, night and day. Expressive, passionate, nowhere near as extroverted as me, nowhere near as charismatic. But what a leader. What a fucking leader. Mm. Nowhere near the, the cookie-cutter leadership attributes. I wouldn't give them to Wes. I wouldn't. He's not a cookie-cutter guy. Yeah. He has been put in life as a professional football player and growing up as a poor black kid in the fucking ghetto to persevere. And he exudes that energy, that genuine leadership quality through experience. It, it leaks off of him. You're like, Jesus Christ. Like yeah. this guy, when he says go, you're like, I'm going. Yeah. And I hate to sound in the philosophical, quote unquote, spiritual sense, but you can see leadership in eyes. And it's, it's a certain animalistic trait we have to listen to those who are leaders. Yeah. Listen, look at how dogs act around each other. Look how dogs act to certain people. When certain people say no, and that dog is like, fuck, this guy's for real. Yeah. Even amongst themselves. We are still those animals. I would feel that that comes from that person being forged through, through life. So if I had to pick one, I, I promise you, you can be born a good leader. And I'll say this to, as my final answer. You can be born a good leader, but only great leaders are made. Wow. <laughs> this guy. Yeah, man, I'm hot today. <laughs> yeah, right. Jesus Christ. I'm feeling great. So <clears throat> now that we've had. Oh, God. Had some good ones, huh? Yeah, yeah. And let me loose. I, <laughs> I, I'm and you know what? You know what makes me mad is I actually I still want to get to the world's strongest man question. Oh yeah. And now oh. I feel like it's like oh, yeah. not even worth it anymore. <laughs> I really think it's gonna be top three. Thor. Damn it! It's gonna be Thor, Martins, and Shaw. Not in the, Thor will win it, in my opinion. Yeah. Martins and Shaw are gonna battle up for top two. I don't think maybe maybe Coral would take fourth, but that's how I see it. Mm. I'm gonna call it now. So we have to let this. We have to release this episode before next week. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I'll, I'll handle that. It, uh, that's pretty cool. When's the last time World's Strongest Man has been in the states? Uh, like five six years ago. I think it was in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. And then before that, was it was it typically did it bounce around like that or? Yeah, it always bounces like it. It normally bounces around the world. They're not super pro USA shows, which is fine. I mean, we can have such incredible shows everywhere, but yeah. I think that um, I think that um, they just pick whatever the fuck they want. I don't want to say they're anti-American because that's rude, but mm-hmm. they pick a lot of worldwide shows, even weird locations like where it's hot and not friendly to the athlete, which I don't understand. Like, why would you make ten of these five hundred pound dudes? sit out in a freaking desert. Like, yeah. you know, there should be, like, stadiums, but I don't know how that system's run financially or anything like that. Sure. Um, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to get to one question I was asked personally, and then I'm going to shut this down because I'm feeling really good on where I left. I was asked a personal question. I won't say who it is, obviously, um, but I'll answer this because I felt it in my soul. And it has kind of an encompassing feeling, I feel. And it was something I'm glad we kind of left to the end. And I kind of paraphrased it, as I always do. It's how to balance a, per- a personal and family life. 
we may get in the way of training. <laughs> now, I, uh, I'm going to personalize this question, as I did when I answered this question for this particular person. Anything and everything that gets in the way of training for me is seen as a potential enemy. It makes me the most difficult and unwelcoming person I have ever met. Whether it's being sick or being late or traffic or, <laughs> I know it sounds selfish, but when somebody passes away, I'm even like, fuck, why'd you have to die? Like, it's that childish. Like, why would, why would you do this to me? And the athlete is a selfish, wild, uncontrollable wolf just tearing at the chains to be let loose, to, to devour everything. That is, the, that is me as the athlete. That is the rawest form of anything that's in my way. Somebody can get in an accident. I'm like, why the fuck weren't you driving better? I have to go deadlift. Like, how dare you? That, that's a true answer. That's a true answer. That's the truth. I'm not giving you bullshit. That is what I think and instantly. And then I'm like, okay, dickhead, stop it. And that's the real. And anyone who tells you otherwise are either probably lying or I've never given a fuck that much about training. And I, I, I'm going to be real with you. It's a terrible way of thinking. And things that have gotten in my way in the past have been troublesome to the point where I may not talk to my family for two, three weeks because I'm so ingrained in training and I don't want to hear the family troubles. I don't want to hear the stress and who's sick and who needs money and who's tired and who's mad at who. I won't even, t I won't even speak to them sometimes because I'm like, I can't be unbalanced when I'm trying to go deadlift 700 pounds. And that's a scary thought. And it's a real thought. When you have to deal with the idea of personal and family things, it's different. Family is external. When it's personal, it's destructive. You start to see, you know, fear. You're scared of doing something, so you start attacking yourself. Depression. You're depressed. You don't want to train, so you're mad at yourself. You want to drink because you have this attitude, and you're mad at yourself. You know, people, I'm not, a, I'm, not the, I'm not the greatest example of human being. I'll tell you that much. I don't know what anybody thinks. But I'll sit at that bar and go, I've had three beers. I should go home. And then I shut the bar down, drunk as fuck. I'm like, why the fuck am I this way? And it's funny to hashtag, but it's not funny. It's not funny. It's like, why did I have to drink the extra 12 beers? Why are you like this? And it becomes an internal battle, a personal disgust. Like, why couldn't you just let the, you could have done this 10 years ago. You could have done this 12 years ago. You know, it's an article I was going to write about it. Like, have I done my time proving myself to myself? Like, have I put in so much time that I'm just done? Like, I don't have to, I can just drink this beer because back in my day, blah, blah, blah. Is that where I'm at right now in my life? And that's part of the process of this question. What is really getting in the way? I would say that the f people around you, and this is the way I answered it, and I felt really good about it because it just came to me. The people around you are there by choice. And they're not going to be there forever. Sport will. The barber will always be there for you if you live your life right. It'll always be a part of you. Your training, if you got your fucking balls and ovaries screwed on tight, will always be there. But your family won't. It's a choice for them to be around you. It's a choice. 
they choose to love you. They choose to go to your birthdays and choose to cheer you on or not. How are you going to balance this? How are you going to perceive this? Well, I tell you one thing. It's not fair. It is the the imbalance of life that you have to come to the acceptance, right? If you're going to tell me that these things are in the way of your sport, then your sport is more important than those around you. And you're going to have to swallow that pill as they leave you and die and get sick or just stop talking to you. That's the reality. The choices are made alone. The lone wolf, right? We talked about it. These decisions to say things are in your way are made because you are loving the sport more than things around you. That's a hard pill to swallow, dude. It's one that I've swallowed many, many times. Maybe that's why I'm not the same way I used to be. Maybe at 26 and 27 when I can just tell everybody to fuck off because I had never really lost anything. But then I felt it. I lost people. I lost friends. I lost family. I lost my body. I felt it. I felt what being alone really feels like, even though I was surrounded by, what, 50, 100 people that love me, quote, unquote. I would say that's a dangerous line to traverse, man. And I've been on both sides, both, very much so, leaning on everybody and completely and utterly, bitterly, athletically alone, like just a wild animal that I would literally punch you if you got in the way of my deadlift. And it's still there. That wild animal is still there. It still comes out when I have to do things. How do you deal with that? You deal with it every day. You have to make the choice within yourself and within your heart to swallow the pill of who and what you are and what you want. You cannot be the greatest athlete in the world and balance life and friends and family. You can't have both. You can't look at me in the eye and say you want to be the greatest drumming you can be and expect to hang out with your parents every weekend and see your girlfriend every night and send flowers to your grandma and watch Netflix together with your friends. Because when you're that obsessed with something, you're not right in the head. It's a, it's a disease, you know. It's this disease that you live with. And it's the same disease that keeps you at the bar at 2 in the morning because you don't understand how to say no or how to stop. It's the same disease, if you want to call it, or gift that pushes you to get those big deadlifts. It pushes you in the gym. It, it, it is a, a corrosive force that doesn't stop. It doesn't give, right? And you have to understand that that same force needs to be quelled and then eventually applied to those who choose to love you. That same obsession, that same, that same love, if you want to call it, that same passion, that unending animal of just devouring, of, of just hunger to, to, to be the best athlete when everything's in your way. Well, guess what, man? You're going to have to use that to love your family. You're going to have to use that same energy to give your grandma a call or listen to your son or daughter. You're going to have to do that to take your friend out for a beer because guess what? He broke up with his girlfriend, and that's more important than your 500-pound deadlift because he may not be there tomorrow, I promise. Think about it. It's all these things that we have to balance out. It's not balance. What is balance, man? Balance is the war. 
balance is the fire, man. It is that's balance to me, maybe. I don't know if that's a fucking oxymoron, right? A balance war. Stupid. Mm-hmm. But you're pushing and you're pulling. And it's you know have to give more, man. Just listening to the terminology when something's in your way, you are the aggressor. You have the spear, right? Tip of the spear, motherfucker. You are the soldier. You're going forward. Well, if you're going to use that terminology, then you need to live that life all the way. Because those things around you are not going to last forever, man. And trust me, anyone who's been in a sport long enough will tell you. Some people will use the term balance. There ain't no balance, man. It's called give and take. There's a time to use that to crush your enemies. To lift those weights. To be a bad motherfucker. And there's another time to just... Buy your mom some flowers. Hug it out. Cry with a friend. Maybe those extremes make me a very short life person. It definitely burns the candle on both ends. I promise you that. And if you want to bring it all together, which I feel so passionate about, this self-struggle, this self-passion, this love of things could be mirrored with the absolute hate of certain things. The hate of failure, the hate of responsibility, the hate of leadership, the burden of being on top, the, the weight of carrying people, and the love and the hate for it. 80-20, right? I chose my path. I hope that answers that fucking question because it certainly answers it for me. I have a lot of great questions and a lot of things about passion and love, but it's not a balance, is it? It's a tipping of the scale and there should be no other way this is MDLP this was the Battle Axe podcast saying everything ends don't be a pussy